Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Starbucks boasts that they have 
80,000 customizable drink options on their menu. Imagine that, 80,000. The, the, thought, the thought is just paralyzing when you think about it. Uh, which is why some people, when they walk into a Starbucks for the very first time, look very, very, very confused. I can remember in the late 90s, walking in Vancouver into a Starbucks for the very first time. This mind-exploding experience, right? Because I was paralyzed by all of these different options. And, and the thing is, you can always spot a Starbucks rookie, right? You, you, those of you who go to Starbucks, you know when the rookie walks in the house, right? They'll go up to the counter and they order a, I'll have a medium coffee, black, okay? Or it's like, I'll have a large, double-double, okay? And they order, it's like, no creams over there, dude. You, you get it? Ah, rookie, okay, amateur, it doesn't matter, okay? Um, Starbucks has mastered what is known as customization. Customization is the ability to offer consumers, customers, a custom-designed product that is very personalized, that is made just for them. And presently, we are living in an era of advanced customization. So what this means is you, the consumer, you can order things personalized. You can order things customized like you never could before. Customized t-shirts, cars, eyeglasses, denim jeans. Uh, there are restaurants that are now serving customized burgers or customized pizzas. Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. It, it puts your name right on the bottle, and you can buy it. Netflix offers personalized channels to each member of your household. There are websites where you can go, and they will have personalized shopping lists, personalized playlists. We are living in a day of mass customization. Now, if you're under 30, you might assume that this has always been the case, but it has not always been so, okay? Once a time, coffee was much simpler. Customization used to be something that only the elite and the wealthy could have access to, but now customization has been made available to the masses. And, and it's the speed of communication, this advancements in technology that have made it possible. But what has made it most possible is demand demand. We are a culture of consumers. We are a culture that highly values individualism. We are hyper-individualists. And when you put these two things together, you've got this potent mix. I want it my way. And by golly, I'm going to get it my way. I want my mocha, triple shot, whole milk with whipped cream, is the logical output of a society full of individualists and consumers. Now, the question I'd like us to consider this morning is this. Could our demand for customization somehow affect our faith? If, you, if you're just joining us, we're, we're in the middle of a teaching series called The King's Tale. We've been looking at the story of Jesus from Luke's Gospel. And today we're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 7, verse 18. And let me give you just a bit of a backstory so you know where we're at. Uh, Jesus has, has just begun his public ministry in the region of Galilee. 
He's been touring the countryside. He's been performing miracles. He's been teaching about the kingdom. Okay, he's been staring down the Pharisees. And as a result of this early ministry of Jesus, he's, he's developed quite a bit of an entourage. There's a, there's a large crowd that started to follow him. And just previous to this point in, in Luke chapter 7, uh, Jesus did, did what seemed like the impossible. He healed a Roman centurion's servant from a distance, like from miles away. He healed this guy. And then he went and he raised a widow's son. Raised him from the dead and gave the son back to his mother. And it's right at the tail end of this miracle that we pick up today's story in verse 18 of Luke chapter 7. But let me just put that question before you one more time. And just let it sit as we walk through the text this morning. The question is, could our demand for customization somehow affect our faith? So, let's keep this in mind as we get into the story in verse 18. I'll read, follow along. Verse 18. John's disciples told him about all these things. Okay, what's he telling about? Well, all the miracles that just happened. The boy being raised from the dead, the healing of the servant. So calling two of them, he sent them to the Lord to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And so when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? We'll stop there. Uh, let me give you just a bit of background information on John the Baptist, in case you don't know who he was. Uh, John plays a very significant role in the story of Jesus. Uh, John was called from birth to go out and to prepare God's people for the coming of Jesus. Okay, He was the voice calling in the wilderness. He was the one who was the herald for the king, telling all, all the people of Israel, get ready, the king is coming, and with him his kingdom, get ready. So John went out and he began preaching in the, in the desert, in the Judean countryside. Um, and people flocked from all over Judea to come and hear this maverick in the wilderness. He, he preached the gospel of repentance. He baptized people in repentance as a sign that they were, they were stepping away from their old lives and stepping into their new lives. Uh, so he baptized people in the Jordan. John knew that Jesus was the Messiah. This was clarified for him when he baptized Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. So John wasn't even a rival of Jesus. He was the one to prepare the way for Jesus. In fact, there are points you read in John's Gospel where John actually told his own followers to leave him and begin to follow Jesus. Now at this point in the story, when John sends his disciples to Jesus, John is rotting away in the Machaerus dungeon. We, we discover in Luke chapter 4, just jump, jump back a few chapters, that John was put into prison. The reason why he was put into prison because true to his word, John wouldn't back down, and he stood up to King Herod. When he stood up to King Herod, he told him, you know, you're doing some wicked things, you're doing some wrong things, and Herod didn't kill John because he was kind of afraid of John, but instead he threw him into prison. And so John is, is there, he's in prison, he's kind of rotting away, and he's starting to have some questions. So, he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask this question, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Now, the question might have a little bit of doubt in it, but more than anything, what John is implying is this. If you're the Messiah, what are you waiting for? See, it's likely that John had some preconceived notions about what the Messiah was supposed to do. And these notions were actually very popular among the Judeans of that day. Most of them were waiting for a Messiah who would ultimately would come in and uh, would bring about political and military freedom for Israel. So this Messiah would come in, he'd raise up the people, he'd overthrow the Romans, he'd usher in a new era of peace and prosperity.
prosperity. This was the Messiah that everybody was waiting for. And so what John's probably implying in this moment is, hey, Jesus, okay, think about this. Okay, I've been doing my job. I've been getting you ready. I'm getting the people ready for your coming. You showed up. Now I'm stuck in prison. You're wandering about in Galilee. I'm doing my job. When are you going to start doing your job? Are you the one to come? Or should we expect someone else? So how did Jesus respond? Let's read on the story. Well, at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits. And he gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, Now go back and report to John what you've seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now, I absolutely love this part of the story because Jesus doesn't say a word. When they first ask him the question, he doesn't say a word. Instead, he just turns around and he starts healing people and rescuing them from demons and, and giving them the restored sight, okay? And then after that, he goes and speaks to the messengers. He says, okay, well, now you can go, go just go tell John what you've seen and heard. As if to say to them, hey, the proof of who I am is right here before you. Do you want my credentials? Do you want my diploma? Do you, do you, do you want my pedigree? Oh, here it is. It's right here in front of you. I am the Messiah. But then Jesus makes this really remarkable statement just after that. He says this. He says, Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. So what's he saying here? Well, essentially, this is a challenge to John and to anybody else who was listening at that point. And Jesus was essentially saying this you got to get rid of your preconceived notions of who you think the Messiah is supposed to be or what you think the Messiah is supposed to be. If I am, in fact, the Messiah, I should know what I'm doing. And I'm not going to bring about freedom and restoration to Israel in the way you think I should. I'm not going to raise up an army. I'm not going to overthrow the Romans through military might. I'm not the Messiah you want, but I am the Messiah you need. Kind of sounds like Batman, doesn't it? <laughs> now, there's an interesting word that uh, he uses here, Jesus uses. You, you see that phrase where it says, do not stumble. Okay, in the original, in the original, original Greek, that word is skandaliso. It's the word where we, our modern days we get scandal from. But the word basically means to stumble. It means to trip someone up. And what Jesus is essentially saying is, don't get tripped up by the kind of Messiah you think I should be. Or don't get tripped up by the kind of Messiah you think I, that, that you're going to see down the road. And what's interesting is, is that the Apostle Paul uses a similar word in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, and verse 23. Here's what he says. He says, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Again, we have this word here, stumbling block. Scandal on. What was the stumbling block about the Messiah? The stumbling block was the cross. The cross was a, it was a stumbling block to Jews. They, they kept getting their feet caught up in it. They kept tripping over it. You see, they were expecting a conquering Messiah. They were not expecting a crucified Messiah. And Jesus would go to the cross and he'd give his life for the whole world. He wasn't the Messiah they wanted, he was the Messiah they needed. And he wouldn't let them customize him. 
messengers left, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. He says, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes. No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I tell you, more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. But what Jesus seems to be saying now is that even, even John the Baptist would not be customized. I mean, John had a mission. His mission was to prepare people uh, for the coming of the Messiah. And so John would speak to God's people on God's behalf. That's what a prophet did, right? He was, he was foretelling. Uh, so John was clear. He was focused. He was determined in his mission. He knew who he was. John did not bend to popular opinion. John wasn't caught up in wealth or power or, or the latest trends. You might remember, if you remember the story of John, I mean, he, he wore a cloak in camel's hair, probably turned inside out, right? Wore a belt of rope. He ate off the land, ate locusts and, and wild honey. John was a bit of an ascetic, okay? He was a prophet that just kind of kind of subsisted and survived. But John was true to his calling. John was who John was. He knew who God had called him to be and nothing more, and he, and he lived true to that calling. He would not be customized. John would not be customized. Well, let's read what Jesus had to say about John. Let's keep going. Uh, verse 28, very quickly. He says, I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. And all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, they acknowledged, yeah, yeah, God's way was right. Because they'd been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves. Because they had not been baptized by John. So very quickly, just really quickly, what is, John, what is Jesus saying here? Well, he's not downplaying John. Okay, he, What he's saying about John, he actually believes. He actually believes that John was the greatest prophet who'd ever lived, born of woman, right? But John's ultimate purpose was to usher in the king. John's ultimate purpose was to point everybody to, to this kingdom. So no matter how great John was in this world, Jesus is saying a person in the kingdom of God would be even greater. So the point Jesus is making is that what matters most is is not that you are is, is that you are a member of the kingdom of God. So you can be a somebody in this world, but if you miss the kingdom, ultimately you'll be a nobody. That's what Jesus is saying. Let's keep reading on here. We're at the final stretch here of what Jesus out of this section. And Jesus went on to say, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? He said they're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you, but you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry. But John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and you say, here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. If I could summarize this entire section, what Jesus is essentially saying is, when you try and customize me, and even when you try and customize John the Baptist, you're acting like children. You're playing children's games. Unpack this a little bit. Jesus is essentially saying, okay, there's, there, imagine that you're in an early marketplace, and there's a bunch of kids there, and half the kids in the marketplace have, have instruments, right? They've got electric guitars and drum kits and bass guitars, right, and someone's got an oboe, okay, and they're there, and they're, they're playing, and the other half of the kids are just kind of sitting there, 
And the kids with the instruments are trying to influence the kids who don't have instruments. And they'll play a, a funeral song, like really morbid funeral song. I don't know, some Adele, okay, really sad. Hello, okay. And they say, you know, come on, cry with us, cry. The kids say, yeah, I want to cry. I don't want to cry. And then they play something really upbeat and, you know, like wham. I don't know, something. That's from the '80s. I know. Okay. Dance like an '80s guy. Okay, so they play some wham, right? And the, and the kids are like, no, I'm not. Dance with us. I'm playing a wedding song. And the kids in the marketplace. kids in the marketplace. Well, the kids who are there and are not dancing and are not mourning are Jesus and John the Baptist. They know what they're supposed to do. They have a clear sense of who they are. They're going to do what they want to do. And they will not be customized. They will not shape themselves and mold themselves to the whims and the winds of the other kids who are here. And those essentially would be the Pharisees. They would be the teachers of the law. And all the people in that culture who would have opposed them. And would have wished they would have been different. A different kind of Messiah, a different kind of leader, a different kind of person. But what's interesting is, the reason why, why, why Jesus is saying, you're being so childish, rather than childlike, is because you are so focused on the means and the medium, that you miss the message. Because here's the thing, Jesus and John both preached the same message. They just did it differently. They both preached the message of repentance. They both called people to leave behind their old ways and to come into the kingdom like children, to start again, to start afresh, to repent, to turn away from what's killing them, to make spiritual U-turns in their life towards what's going to give them life, to turn away from sin and brokenness to God himself. They both had the exact same message. They just had a different means of doing it. Jesus was with the people. He entered into their worlds where they were at. He ate with them. He drank with them. He didn't compromise. And they said he was a glutton and a drunk. John the Baptist went out into the wilderness, into the desert. He's an ascetic. He wore camel's hair and ate locusts. And they said he had a demon. And what Jesus is ultimately saying to them is, listen, your, your customizing instinct of who I should be and who John the Baptist should be. It's foolish. It's childlike. He says, but wisdom is proved right by all her children. And what he essentially is saying is, one day you will understand that the children who would not bow to your desires were right. That ultimately Jesus was right. And John the Baptist was right. And wisdom will demonstrate that to be true. And all of those who would do the same are those who embrace wisdom. Now, I want to return to our question, our original question this morning. Could our demand for customization somehow affect our faith? I think it can. And, and I'd like to suggest that we might still, even today, try and customize Jesus let me suggest for you this morning, for you to consider three ways that we might do this. Here's the first way. Where we focus on one side of Jesus. Focus on one side of Jesus. 
So, so we, can, we can zoom in real close and look at Jesus and, and hyperemphasize one aspect of his nature or his behavior. And, and sometimes we'll do this. We'll do it to justify our own political position. Sometimes we'll do it to, to, to make sense of our own personal values. So, for example, we might create a capitalist Jesus or a socialist Jesus or an eco-friendly Jesus or a self-help Jesus or a social justice liberation kind of Jesus. But this myopia, this nearsightedness can prevent us from discovering the real Jesus, the complete Jesus. The Jesus as, as he reveals himself in the Gospels and in the rest of Scripture. And in the end, what we discover is we've essentially just put Jesus in a box. But when we try and put God in a box, he ceases to be God. Because here's the thing about him. He's, he is infinite and mysterious. He is loving. He is holy. He's capable. He's beyond our imagination. And the only way that we can actually even grasp God, having finite minds, trying to grasp the infinite, the only way we can actually grasp him is if he chooses to reveal himself to us. And that's what God has chosen to do through Jesus Christ. He came and he dwelt among us. Revealing us, this is what the Father's like. We cannot box Jesus in. Instead, what the Scripture invites us to do, invites us to worship Him, invites us to, to marvel at Him, to embrace the mystery. Here's a, here's, a, here's a second way we might customize Jesus. is when we omit the attributes of Jesus that make us uncomfortable. Jesus, He can make us very, very uncomfortable. He convicts, he challenges, he confounds. For some, it might be just his more challenging teachings. For others, it could be the very idea that Jesus performed miracles. It doesn't fit with my naturalist worldview, right? It might be uh, some of the things he did, like the fact that Jesus elevated women, like the, the fact that Jesus challenged people's sensitive egos, Okay. But Jesus can make us very uncomfortable. Jesus doesn't always sit well with people's palates. And so to deal with the discomfort, discomfort, we sometimes treat Jesus more like a buffet. I, I, I like buffets. I should avoid buffets at all costs, okay? But sometimes, uh, you know, you, 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 when you go to a buffet, you end up filling your plates with the kind of food you love rather than the kind of food you need, okay? So skip the salads, go right to the mashed potatoes, gravy, and fried rib. You know what I'm talking about, right? Dessert, mm, okay? That's how a buffet works. And if you're a consumer who likes customizable things, the buffet is your jam. You know what I'm saying? So some days, um, we can treat Jesus like a buffet. And what this often leads to is a pleasant, safe Jesus who, who doesn't intrude on my daily life. Unless I really need him. If I get into trouble, I might call out to him. But for the most part, I like a sanitized, safe version of Jesus. I mean, Jesus, he, he wouldn't really ask me to love my enemies, would he? I mean, would, would Jesus really s s call me to be sexually pure, right? To stop sleeping with my girlfriend? Would Jesus uh, tell me that, hey, you, you need to care for the poor and the widows? orphans in the world? Would Jesus actually ask me to um, forgive somebody who's betrayed me? That friend who's stabbed me in the back? It's kind of
Jesus is very much out of sync with our culture. So while the culture is playing dubstep, Jesus is dancing the tango. And so in our attempt to make Jesus more palatable, to make Jesus less offensive, we customize him. So we can present a soft, nice, politically correct, middle-class, friendly Jesus with good values, who's great with kids, and safe and fun for the whole family, okay? Um, the, only, so, the only problem is that Jesus taught things and he did things that many people in our culture would have a lot of trouble with. You know, Jesus told off his disciples. You know, Jesus called people snakes and he called them dogs. You know, Jesus put together a whip and he drove people out of the temple courts. You know, Jesus had a lot to say about hell. You know, Jesus said that I'm actually going to come back and I'm going to judge the world. Jesus said these things. Jesus told people, he told people, I am going to be crucified. And then he willfully allowed himself to be beaten bloody within an, inch, within an inch of his life and to suffocate to death on a Roman torture device. Jesus is offensive. He's not trying to be offensive, but by his very nature, he rubs against the grain of many of our cultural sentiments. And sometimes, in order to avoid that pain, you know, because when you rub against the grain, you get slivers, right? In order to avoid slivers, we choose to present a customized Jesus for the masses to hear. And as a pastor, there are some times where I'm like, I don't want to talk about that because I'm dodging that bullet. Because I don't want to get shot and I don't want to feel the pain. And I think as Christians, sometimes we can do that as well. Now, as wonderful as customization is, it does come with some problems. Two problems in particular emerge with customization. First is cost, second is loss. Let me talk about cost. A number of companies have discovered that trying to meet customers' demands for customization simply isn't worth it. You might remember a few years ago, McDonald's created their taste, uh, create your taste campaign, right? That's when they installed the big kiosks in McDonald's, right? You could go in and you could kind of create your own customized burger on the on the machine, right? And I, I remember I did it once, okay? So I went in there. You may I talked about it here at Crossman, but I went in there and uh, I created this uh, this monster, my um, my Magnus Opus, my Frankenstein. Um, and I created this burger. It, I don't know how, how many patties, and it had pickles and double-double and on the uh, McDonald's Big Mac sauce and cheese and vegetables and all that. At the end of the day, this thing cost about $12 to build, okay? And they built it, and, and, then, and then I had to wait 15 minutes for them to create it, okay? Because they're like, yes, what? You're, you know, and they're building this thing, right? And I can remember when, when I bought this thing and they slid it over the counter to me and they looked at me and it, it was like, man, you, you need to be so thankful that you have free health insurance in Canada, okay? But here you go. I mean, they couldn't even close the lid on this burger, right? And I ate it with glad delight and I, I regretted it the moment it, I finished, okay? But here's the thing. It, McDonald's pulled the plug on this campaign not long after that. And there's a reason. It's because it took too long to create these monstrosities for the public. It took way too long. The cost was too high. The cost of customization. Customization costs. It is not cheap. But not only is there a 
cost in customization. There is loss in customization. The challenge is, it is that if you go too far with customization and you allow customers to do whatever they want with your product, at the end of the day, they will dilute your product, your brand. So what made your brand unique and valuable and beautiful suddenly gets hacked to pieces. And what you have at the end of the day is something that just kind of looks like everybody else's. Steve Jobs understood this when he was with Apple. Um, I, I've read his biography. Uh, uh, I find Steve Jobs to be a fascinating individual. But he insisted that Apple and Mac computers um, have what is called closed architecture. Any Mac users in here in the room? Only a few? Come on. That's up. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm a Mac user. Okay. Yeah. And you know that you're right. Okay. So Mac users. Okay. Um, I'm a Mac and PC user. Okay. And I'm all things to all men, just so you know. Okay. Uh, I have one of each. I also have an iPhone. Anyone have an iPhone? Okay. Same people who put up their hands for the Mac. Okay. So uh, when, when he created his technology, he, he had what was called closed architecture. In other words, he designed his computers so that they don't play well with other computers or other components. He didn't want people ripping apart his beautifully crafted, his beautifully designed computers and modifying them with third-party components or third-party apps. He didn't want to lose the uniqueness and the beauty of his product. The loss of customization, friends, is dilution. And when you put too much cream in your coffee, at the end of the day, it's no longer coffee. It's cream with coffee. And friends, in the same way, there is a cost and a loss to customizing Jesus. When we tone down Jesus, we dilute him. When we attempt to make Jesus less offensive, what we're doing at the end of the day is we're accommodating to our culture. And the more we accommodate to our culture, the closer we become to capitulating to culture. So listen, think about this. You, you might accommodate your house guest who comes to visit you, right? You might accommodate their certain quirks. You know, okay, you want to keep your shoes on in the house? All right, all right, okay, they're muddy. Oh, that's fine, I'll accommodate you. You know, oh, you want to leave that dish rag mushed up in the corner of the sink? Oh, okay, you know what? Okay, you want to walk around in your underwear? Whoa, okay, well, okay, you're fine. I'll accommodate you. But the more and more you accommodate the house guest, there comes a point where you capitulate to the house guest. You've essentially taken the keys out of your pocket and you've given them over to the house guest and you say, there you go. And the more and more we accommodate Jesus to our culture, there will be a point where essentially we're giving the keys to the culture. We're capitulating. But if we learn anything from today's text, it's that Jesus will not be customized. And the Jesus we discover in the pages of Scripture will be offensive to some. He will make you uncomfortable. He will make me uncomfortable. But He is greater. He is more powerful. He is more mysterious than we could ever ask or imagine. And this is the Jesus we worship. This mysterious Son of God. This is the Jesus we serve. This is the Jesus we delight in. The resurrected, living Son of God who gave His life for the whole world, who will come again and restore all things, bringing justice and peace to the earth. This is the Jesus of the Bible. And He invites us into relationship with Him. So friends, can I just suggest two practical outcomes for today very quickly? Would you consider, in light of everything we've heard this morning, would you consider this? 
first of all, honest seeking. Would you be willing to pursue and seek out the real Jesus? You know, maybe you're here and you're just kicking the tires of faith. You're just exploring things. And, um, Jesus, for you, is, is just very new. Would you be willing to set aside your preconceived ideas and biases? Would you be willing to say, okay, maybe what the culture is saying about Jesus and what's out there in the culture wars and all these things about Jesus may not, in fact, be true about who he actually is? Would you be willing to take an honest look at the Jesus of the Bible? Would you investigate? Would you explore? You know, at Crosspoint, we're all we're a community of explorers. We're all on a journey. We're figuring this stuff out. And we say to, to our Crosspointers all the time, don't check your brains at the door. We want you to think. We want you to consider. We want you to imagine. And could Jesus be far greater than you ever asked or imagined? Would you be willing to honestly seek, honestly seek, and say, I'm going to put off my blinders for a bit, and I really want to discover who he is? Would you seek out the real Jesus, not just the Jesus you want? And then the second thing this morning is humble surrender. And perhaps when you, when you discover Jesus as he is, not as we think he should be, would you surrender to him? Because here's the thing. What if, what if he is the living son of God, resurrected from the dead, like as portrayed in scripture? What if that is true? If that's true, the implications of that truth are far-reaching, covering every dark corner of your life and my life. If that's true... He invites us to surrender to Him as He is. And maybe that's true. That's something that, that you are discovering even now, today. Did you know that, that He loves you? He cares a great deal about you. So much that He gave His life for you. Did, you. did you know that He offers you eternal abundant life, relationship with Him, purpose and a destiny far beyond what you could ever ask or imagine. He offers that to you freely. And He invites you into His kingdom like a little child to come and to embrace him. He offers that to all of us. And, and the key to that is just simple surrender. Like a kid running into the arms of his dad. Surrender. And that, that would be my hope and my prayer for each and every one of us. Honest seeking and humble surrender. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Jesus, I did pray one prayer at the end of today. It's just May we see you for who you truly are. May we abandon our desires to form you and create you into our own image. And Jesus, may we surrender our lives to you with the word. Thank you for taking the initiative and coming to live among us that we might have We pray now in Jesus' name. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.